0: Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me. And I'll be whiter than snow. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You'll not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Oftentimes pastors, and I have a lot of friends that are pastors, and so I think I can speak to this with some level of Uh, knowledge oftentimes pastors will stand in pulpits and and preach messages and we feel this unrealistic expectation to be an expert on that subject we'll we'll preach about what the bible says about money and feel like we ought to be financial experts and we'll preach about uh, uh, marriage and feel like we ought to be marriage experts we'll preach about parenting and feel like we ought to be experts at raising our children. Well, I can tell you that I am an expert at today's subject. I know how to sin. I know how to say things that I shouldn't say. I know how to think things that I shouldn't think. I know how to do things that I shouldn't do. And I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm in a room in light company. See, if we were all to take our little halos off, everybody in this room knows how to sin. In fact, we're experts at it. So what do you do? What do you do when you love God? And you know you love God. But find yourself drawn toward sin. And we like to clean it up. And we like to call it mistakes. And we like to call it a speed bump. And we like to call it stepping out of bounds. But can we for today just call it what it is and just call it sin? David, when we left him last week, he was a man after God's own heart. And today we're going to look how that heart became quite rebellious and went its own way. And before we judge David, let's be thankful that the Bible's not still being written. See, the difference between your sin and my sin and David's sin is that our sin isn't written in the best-selling book of all times. And aren't you glad? So instead of judging David, let's learn from David. (laughs) Week one, we talked about the shadow of destiny, and I believe that you have a purpose and a plan on this planet week two we talked about the shadow of opposition david faced down his giant you've got one the same god that caused david to prevail can cause you to prevail we talked about last week the shadow of god's heart and i hope that you're in hot pursuit of god's purpose and presence for your life today we'll talk about the shadow of sin And to do that, we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And for the sake of time, I'm I'm not going to read the whole chapters. I'm I'm going to lean on you to, to do two things. To trust that what I'm going to tell you is in the Bible and then to go home and prove that it's there. Read it for yourself. You ought to be reading it for yourself anyway. Amen. So there's this 2 Samuel chapter 11 starts with an odd phrase. It says, at the time of year when kings go to war, David stayed home. Why did David stay home? You know, he'd been on it all of his life. He'd been at, uh, running from something, fighting a battle he'd, all of his life. And, and now he's king. The ark's in Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe he stayed home to rest. I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All we know is that he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Have you ever gotten in trouble because you weren't? where you were supposed to be the bible says that he was taking a stroll on his roof and looks down and sees a woman bathing now how many know that that sin didn't start there in fact we're going to talk about where the origin was but it it could have ended there couldn't it have he could have whoa i don't need to be looking at that whoa i don't need to be looking at that whoa i don't need to be looked. that's not what he did he looked and then he looked and then he looked again and then he looked some more and oh by the way before we give Bathsheba a pass she knew what she was doing uh, you know some some commentaries talk about like this was way late at night but m- most bibles read that it was after david's midday nap this was early evening. David inquires about her. Who is this? This is Bathsheba. She's Uriah's, the Hittite's wife. Now, if you keep reading in, the sec- in 2 Samuel, find out who Uriah was. Uriah was a trusted confidant. He was one of David's mighty men. Look at me. He was a friend. But David knew where Uriah was, didn't he? Uriah was where he was supposed to be. So David calls for her. Bathsheba has her come to his bedchambers. They commit adultery. She goes home a little while later. She sends word to him that she's pregnant. And oh, by the way, that's a bigger problem than it is today. It's a big problem today, right? right? You commit adultery and somebody is pregnant. That's a big problem. You know why it was a bigger problem then? It was a death sentence. They're they're both supposed to die. You get caught in adultery, you die. So they're like, What do we do now? David's like, I got a plan. How many know sin gives birth to sin? I got a plan. He calls for Uriah the Hittite to come back to Jerusalem. And he says, Look, Uriah, we're boys, right? We go way back, me and you. Here's what I want you to do. I know you're tired. You've been fighting a long battle. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get yourself a nice meal. Get yourself a little, you know, something to take the edge off. And I want you to go home to your wife. And he said, nope. The ark's in a tent. All of these people are fighting a battle. Instead of doing that, I'm going to be your bodyguard tonight. (laughs) Uriah's integrity was a problem for David. Not going to do it. David's like, all right. Well, So the day two comes around. David gets him hammered. See in your Bible. David gets him hammered. Well, surely now he'll go home and spend some time with his wife, his beautiful wife. The Bible says that she was of unusual beauty. But Uriah had too much integrity. I would never do that while my compatriots are putting their... Their lives on the line at the field of battle. I would never do such a thing. David's thinking, I was hoping it didn't come to this. David writes a letter, puts it in Uriah's hand to tell Joab, the general, when Uriah gets back, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure he's in the most dangerous front line. Take all of those protecting him away and let him die. Uriah is holding his own death warrant. And it happens exactly like David had planned. So when Uriah dies, he takes Bathsheba as his wife. They get married. And it's interesting, when you read, and read this for yourself, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, the Bible never calls. Bathsheba, David's wife. Even after Uriah's death, it's still the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Because David, look at me, David stole her. Some time passes. Nathan the prophet is awakened by the Spirit of the Lord and says, You need to go handle business with David. Nathan walks in and and paints this incredible picture for David. David is furious about this, this man that would rob a young lamb, a rich man that would rob a young lamb from a poor man that only had the one lamb. And David's furious about this story. And Nathan looks at David and says, you are that man. David realizes that he'd been found out. How I mean, you know sometimes we're we're convicted because we're convicted and then sometimes we're convicted because we got found out. Either way David is repentant God forgives David but a whole decades of the life of David is interrupted the life of the child is taken David's constantly at the sword for the rest of his life. His own children grow to hate him. So what does it teach us? <laughs> it's funny, I, I was having a text message conversation with my brother today. Early this morning, and, and we were talking about something else. And he said, hey, before I let you go, I just want to tell you, I hope you have a great service today. You're always so uplifting and encouraging. And I went, well, watch today. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you a whole lot of bad news today. Whole lot. But I want you to hang with me for the last five minutes. Because in the last five minutes, I'm going to give you some great news. Here's the first part of our bad news. The f- The story of David and Bathsheba, you can write this down if you want to, speaks to the progressive nature of sin. You see, David's sloth became lust. Lust became deceit of a friend. Deceit became adultery. Adultery became treachery. Treachery became more deceit, and that finally became murder. Sin gives birth to sin that gives birth to sin. Can I tell you why? The enemy, and you have one by the way, the enemy isn't content with you simply committing a sin. The enemy is determined for your destruction. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His job is to take you from bad to worse. See, if, you know how many times I tell you about how we should, we should not take the Bible in, in little chunks, but we should take it as a whole? See, if you, the, the story of David and Bathsheba doesn't really begin in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It begins with a lifelong history of David's lust and a, a sin that he never dealt with. How I mean, you know stuff like that doesn't just go away? He never dealt with it. He never sought. He sought God for many things, but he never sought God for his lust and his polygamy. And, he, and, he, and you're like, well, doesn't the Bible talk about polygamy and having many wives? Yeah, it does. It does. But just because the Bible talks about something doesn't mean it approves of it. In fact, because David's king, he's strictly forbidden. But what you see is decade after decade of lust and polygamy, and then it cost somebody their life. Yes. Maybe the best way to describe it, you ever watched those cartoons where a a little snowball will roll down a hill and it just gets bigger bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and now it's destructive. Maybe you've seen that in your own life. What, what was just a little lie became something much bigger. What was just a little deceit became something much bigger. That certainly works. You know we've been talking about what Clinton and Angie deal with with addiction. How many you know that every addiction started with something little? Dwayne, what is sin? I'm going to give you a a definition of sin that I bet you've never heard. Because sin is really obedience. How many have heard that sin was disobedience? I'm going to tell you that sin is obedience. Sin is obedience to the wrong instruction. See, when, when the enemy... When the enemy of your soul puts a temptation in your path and you say yes to that temptation. And listen, everybody in this room has done it. Some of us have done it today. I said something this morning I should not have said. This morning. Dwayne, you shouldn't. You're right. I shouldn't. That's why it's sin. I was listening to the wrong instruction. I was obedient to the wrong instruction. You with me? See, you're going to be obedient to somebody. You're either going to be obedient to the voice of the Lord or the enemy of your soul, and there's very little gray area in between. You know, we don't have time to talk about how our culture has created these false gray areas between right and wrong. Anybody remember Bob Dylan? I'm the oldest person in the room Bob Dylan in his wise words words he said you may be an ambassador to England or France you might like to gamble you might like to dance you might be the heavyweight champion of the world you might be a socialite with a long string of pearls but you're gonna have to serve somebody it might be the devil It might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Listen, you're going to be obedient to somebody. You get to choose who you're going to be obedient to. I wonder... I wonder if in that moment, David's walking on his, uh, on his roof. I wonder if in that moment, if, if he would have listened to the voice of the Lord. David, you probably need to go back inside. I wonder if he'd have listened to the voice of the Lord. David, you're supposed to be at battle. Get yourself where you belong. David, you got no business looking at that woman. Go back inside. David, David, David. And he turned his ear off to the voice of the Lord. So dangerous. And everybody in this room's done it. So what do you do? What do you do? See, it's, ah. it's easier for me to think that sin is just disobedience to God. It's hard to think that I'm being obedient to the enemy of my soul. He didn't love you. He didn't care for you. He hates you because of who's you, who you belong to. Write this down. Sinful behavior is the fruit of a corrupt seed. I told you we were in 2 Samuel chapter... Do you remember? 11 and 12, right? Let's flip back to 2 Samuel chapter 5. It's not up there. Just look at me. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, had more sons and more daughters were born to him, more wives, more concubines. Six chapters earlier. More. Can I tell you what a concubine is? Are we all adults in the room? Can I tell you what a concubine is? There were two purposes for a concubine. To give the man two things. Male children and pleasure. They didn't have, they didn't have the, the rights of a real wife. They were a secondary wife. And David had tons of them. So, David's problem with Bathsheba didn't begin on the rooftop. He'd been dealing with this for a long time. He had a corrupt seed. And sooner or later, sooner or later, y'all, if we carry corrupt seed around in our soul, it will produce fruit. Sooner or later. Sooner or later. If we carry it around long enough. See, it's easy for us to fool everybody else, isn't it? It's easy for us to fool our wives, our husbands, our children, our parents, our pastors. It's easy for us to paint on a smile, look holy, polish our halo. But we carry a corrupt seed around long enough. Sooner or later, it'll produce fruit. Sooner or later, it'll produce fruit. Hmm. Why does... Why does sin happen? I'll, I'll tell you. Sin happens, listen, when we act on impulse instead of intellect. When we act on feeling rather than faith. I'm going say that again. When we act on impulse instead of intellect. When we act on feeling rather than faith. Can, can we just be real with each other? Have, have you ever got on the other side of your sin and thought, how stupid was that? Just me? Yeah. And and you had this thought, if I would have just used my brain, if I would have just used my intellect instead of my impulse, it would have been different. And then we act on feeling rather than faith because maybe that thing you're involved in feels good, but your faith tells you it will kill you. But in this moment, you're more concerned with how you feel than the object of your faith. (laughs) Well, the devil made me do it. The old devil made me do it. Are you sure? Are you sure the devil made you do it? Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and I said that kind of mean, didn't I? Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says, James chapter 1. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So if I read that, do I have a part to play in allowing sin to grow? The answer is yes. See, there's... There's an element to this process that stops sin in its tracks. There's an element to this process that kills that corrupt seed. There's an element in this process that opens the door to forgiveness. Write this down. Repentance and confession is the doorway to forgiveness. Would you like to know what the difference between repentance and confession is? R- repentance is when I agree with God. This thing is sin. You are right, God, and I am wrong. I agree with you that Your way is the right way, and I will now turn away and go your way. Confession is when to God or to someone else you admit your faults and failures. And listen, sometimes it needs to be another human being. The Bible says in the book of James that we confess our sins to one another so we might be healed. See, if, if you don't have somebody in your life that you can tell the deepest, darkest parts of your heart to, then you're sick. Uh, how, how did uh, Craig Rochelle says it this way? We're only as sick as our secrets. But listen to me. When you can unburden your soul to God and to another human being about the reality of the depravity of your sin, there's healing there. There's forgiveness there. Mm. Facts. Thank you. By the way, that passage of Scripture that I read at the very beginning of the service today, very beginning of the message, Psalm 51, guess when David wrote that? David wrote that as soon as Nathan left the house. As soon as he was confronted with his sin, he wrote, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. And can I tell you that the same God that forgave David so many years ago is anxious to hear your confession. And to wash you clean. And to kill that corrupt seed. So in the time we have left, let's talk about six things that David taught taught us about living in the shadow of sin. There's a theologian, a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Listen to these words. Listen very carefully. In our members, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. All at once, a secret, smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is a sexual desire, an ambition, or a vanity, or desire for revenge, or love of fame and power, or greed for money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and all desire, for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. I read you that to give you the the first thing that we learn from David about living in the shadow of sin, that temptation isn't hard to find. How many of you know that to be true? You don't have to go looking for it. Can I read you the words... From another theologian, his name was uh, Carmen. Anybody remember Carmen? (laughs) Powerful words. Here we go. Listen. King David was smitten down to his socks when his eyes caught that Bathsheba fox. (laughs) His resistance was so shook that he backslid. He went and had her husband killed, thinking his dreams would be fulfilled, but God would make him wish that he never did. The Lord punished him severe for being stupid as an ape. But David's faith was strong. God soon pulled him back in shape. Now there's a lesson to be learned here About dealing with temptation, you keep your eyes on the creator, man, and not on his creation. Come on, somebody. Temptation is there. But aren't you glad that we serve a God? And there's a Jesus that lives in our soul and a Holy Spirit that works within us that has provided a way of escape. And, and, and listen to me, let's, let's just let's just get this out in the open. When we sin, when we sin, it's not your wife's fault. It's not your pastor's fault. It's not your children's fault. It's not your siblings fault. It's not your husband's fault. You did it Own it. Here's something the Lord showed me a, a long, 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 long time ago. I was i was in a place of repentance and prayer and i was asking god to forgive me for some anger that i held and i don't know how this messes with your theology i'm just going to tell you how it, how it went with my prayer okay here's what i felt the lord say I can't and i'm like lord help i don't understand He said, you can't give me your sin, Dwayne, because you've let somebody else own part of it. You're blaming somebody else for your sin. And until you own it, you can't give it to me. Does that make sense? So listen. That temptation you gave into when your eyes caught that Bathsheba fox. Come on, y'all Own it. God, this is my sin. Wash me clean. Second thing. Pay attention to your environment. Can I? All right, let's take a quick poll. How many of you got in trouble because you were where you weren't supposed to be? All right. Hands down. How many of you ever got in trouble because you were with somebody you shouldn't have been with? Pay attention to your environment. And I don't know if you're like I am. The Holy Spirit is nudging you that whole time. You don't belong here, son. Can I tell you about one? I don't mind telling you about this because it was 100 years ago. All right. None of y'all will remember a, a, a band called ACDC. All right. So ACDC had a movie called Let There Be Rock and they played it at the Fox Theater, all right? And so a, bu- a buddy of mine from high school invited me to go with them. Now, as, I'm, as he's given me the invitation, the Holy Spirit in me is going, no, Dwayne, you don't need to go. Nope, 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 nope. And I went, yeah. <laughs> of course, I'd, I'd love to go. I would be thrilled to go. And, and so we're... We're sitting in the Fox Theater, and there's more sound than you can imagine. It's just crazy loud, and everybody is stoned. The guy taking the ticket at the, at the door, hammered. Everybody. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever been in an environment where, like, the lights go down, and all you see is little orange glows everywhere. <laughs> y'all know, okay. And, and I was like, what is that, what is that purple fog? Floating above. And I remember the Lord saying, I told you, this is not where you belong. I'm 17. Barely a Christian. Just a Christian in a little while. You got no business here, Dwayne. This is not your environment. Pay attention to your environment. Third thing. <laughs> Selfishness and pride are the breeding ground for sinful behavior. Every sin you've ever committed had its roots in one of those two places. You've made your world, your life, your pleasure all about you. Your pride. David and Bathsheba thought they were saving their lives by covering their sin. They didn't care about Uriah. They cared about saving their own fannies. So I said that to say this, when you start responding to a situation with either of those two things, to selfishness, you start responding to a situation, maybe you're having a disagreement with a friend, and all of a sudden it becomes selfish, I want things my way, I gotta have my way, I'm right, they're wrong, and it, it becomes all about you, guess what, you're standing at the door. Maybe some of you have sat in this sermon with a spirit of pride. Well, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't struggle. I am filled with the Holy Ghost. That's pride. That's, and it's one of the seven things God said he hated. Number four. <laughs> Oddly enough, number four, no one is immune to sinful behavior. care how holy you think you are. You drop your guard. And the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. This has not been very uplifting and encouraging, has it? We're getting there, I promise. Last thing, I mean, number five. Unrepented sin will thrive and evolve. When we allow sin to stay in our soul unrepentant, it's like a cancer that will grow aggressively. And it'll get bigger. And it'll get stronger. And it's it's almost like it's almost like the ripples in a in a pond. And and the more you allow it to stay in your soul unrepented, it's like you're throwing bigger and bigger boulders in the middle of that pond. And the ripples just get deeper and longer and last. All right, here's what I want everybody to do. Take a big, big breath. Because I'm going to tell you about something else I'm an expert at. Number six, you can't out sin the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm an expert at that. That God so loved this world, yes. He knew there was one way. There was only one way to put to death forever. That corrupt seed. He had to step out of heaven himself, take on humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only Son of God. The Bible says in First Peter, when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, the man Christ Jesus. If you and I had to pay for our own sin... What, what would we say in the courtroom of heaven? <laughs> when God said, did you lie? Yes. Did you steal? Yes. Did you lust? Yes. Did you, did, did you commit murder in your heart? Yes. Uh, are you guilty or innocent? All of us would stand before a holy, righteous, perfect, eternal God guilty. Yeah. Do you know what an advocate is? It's one who stands in your place. So when if if you're in this room and you know Jesus and he's and he's redeemed you from your sin, when, when God sees you, He doesn't see you're lying and He doesn't see you're stealing. He doesn't see your lust. He doesn't see all of that. You know what He sees? The blood of His Son Christ Jesus that has washed it all away. That's what He sees. Yeah. Yeah. When I don't get it then, <laughs> doesn't that mean we get a free pass? Does that mean we live however we want to when everything's fine? Listen. When you fall in love with Jesus and know that he gave everything for you, you want to be more like him. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I want to walk in a holiness, not, be, not because I'm trying to earn something, because I'm so in love with Jesus, I want to please him. So here's how, what I have to pray all the time. God, that corrupt seed, but you just kill it. When I, when I see my attitude getting out of balance, and it does often, y'all, I, I, I wish I could stand before you and tell you I got all this figured out. I, I really do. I'm just being honest with you right now. And I hope y'all are okay with this. I wish I could tell you I've got this life figured out, but I don't. Sometimes my, my words come out that I don't like and sometimes my attitudes don't match who I think I am. I'm so... I'm so thankful in those moments I have an advocate with my father who is Christ Jesus. See I I phrased that last that last little fill in intentionally because I I thought there was a time when I had out sinned God's grace when I had done more than I could possibly be forgiven of. Felt like I'd lived a lie. <laughs> and he proved me wrong. So here's how I want us to pray today. Come on, baby. Oh, y'all. Oh, y'all. So thankful for grace. I'm so thankful that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf so I could become the righteousness of God in Him. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because I'm tired I'm not going to play any games this morning, okay? If you're here and you'd say, Dwayne, listen, i got some stuff that doesn't belong in my life. And I've justified it, and I've, I've, I've tried to reason out a way why it was okay, and the truth of the matter, it's sin, and, and it, it, needs to, it needs to not be in my life. Maybe it's an attitude. I don't know. Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's lust. I don't know. But you say, Dwayne, I'm, I'm confident that there's, there's stuff in my life that doesn't belong. When nobody looking around, just please listen to me. You don't have to carry that corrupt seat around anymore. You, you don't have to. So if that's you, just say, Dwayne, I, I got some stuff in my life that don't belong. And I need for God to take it today. If that's you, I want you to put your hand in the air. (laughs) Amen. (sighs) Holy Spirit, would you just do what only you can do in the lives of these in this room today? We want to stand before you
1: clean.
0: That's only possible through the blood of your son, Jesus.
1: Y'all have seen that, please. your feet
0: here's what I want you to do you put your hand in the air for for whatever reason nobody's judging you I want you to right now pay attention don't hesitate I want you to come kneel around this altar we're going to kneel and pray together I want you to do it right now we're going to pray together hallelujah Thank you, Lord. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Listen, I'm going I'm to pray for you. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to pray together. And, and, and listen, Dwayne's going to pray the same prayer you're praying. We're going to confess our sins to God. And we're going to repent. That means we're going to turn away from them. God, you're right and I'm wrong. And and, and, and I'm going to do things your way from this day forward. And, and God, the Bible says that God will then take those sins and cast them into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. So that's how we're going to pray. Let's pray together, Father, in the name that's above every day, in the name of Jesus. Forgive us our sin. You are right and we are wrong. Wash us. Cleanse us from our iniquity, from our sin. Create in us a clean heart that's only possible, oh God, by the blood of your Son, Jesus. So because of His magnificent death and glorious resurrection, we are able to ask and plead for forgiveness today, and that's exactly what we do. And God, we declare that your way is the right way. We leave our sin at the foot of the cross, and we believe that it is gone and forever forgotten and washed away. Our lives are clean because, not because we're good, not because we've got our act together, but because the blood of Jesus has washed our
1: Sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
0: you ought to be able to stand and sing this with conviction. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed
1: me. And like a flood,
0: Come on, once more. Lift your voice. My chains are gone. I've been set free.
1: My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns unending.
0: Father, in this room, we bow before You, giving a humble thanks for the amazing grace of God that has forgiven our sin and washed us white, not because we earned it, but because of Your compassion and never-ending love for us.
1: We love You, Jesus. <laughs> My chains are cold, I've been sent like God my Savior has ransomed me, and like a
0: Lord, an ovation of praise.